My name is Emily Franson. Welcome to My Nerd Brain, a dialogue on musicians' health and wellness. Thanks for tuning in to episode 16. I have a very exciting guest today who is an absolute staple of the New Orleans music scene down here, DJ Soul Sister. And DJ Soul Sister is one of the longest standing live DJs in New Orleans, uh, where she also hosts her own show on uh, WWOZ. And uh, DJ Soul Sister, I would like to welcome you to my nerd brain. I am thrilled to be here, thrilled to be alive <laughs> and <thrilled laughs> to be with you. <laughs> yeah, alive is a good, like, first step, you know? <laughs> you know, that that is half the battle these days, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, but I am really excited to have you on here because... When I first started doing this, I did make like a literal list of people I wanted to have on the show, and you were like right at the top. So I'm glad this worked out, and I'm glad that you could make the time to to do this with me. Thank you. Of course. Um, and I watch your your Instagram pretty closely, and I've you know I've seen you talk a lot about uh, your collection of music that you use to DJ and that you use in the radio show and you know how long it's taken to curate that collection of music for yourself. How did you kind of start getting into that? Uh, that starts for me when I was very, very little. I mean, my first knowledge, my first memories of me purposefully um, seeking out music, uh, that, you know, wasn't like kitty music, you know, <laughs> strawberry shortcake or the Smurfs or something like that, was um, in 1979. And I was about, about four or five years old. And I remember this, you know, when you're little and you don't remember a lot of things when you're really little, but every, like, there might be one or two or three things. It's almost like you remember being there. So this is one of those times. There's a song that came out by the Gap Band in 79 called I Don't Believe You Want to Get Up and Dance. Uh, the subtitle, Oops, Upside Your Head. And my dad was about to go to the record store and he was surrounded by his friends and I was with him. And my dad is like, you want to, you know, we're going to the record store. Do you want anything? And I said, I want Oops, Upside Your Head. And he was <laughs> friends cracked up and I remember that but I remember it not only because they were laughing so so hard but I was confused I'm like but what's funny I want oops upside your head I I want the record get it for me what's funny that's not a joke oh. <laughs> and so I have been into soulful music since I was very very little um my dad uh, played a lot of records around the house. He had a nice sizable collection, not a humongous collection. I would say 50, maybe 100 records. Um, I have many more. I have closer to 10,000 records. Uh, my mother, not so much, but she bought me uh, a Fisher Price record player when I was very little. So, uh, you know, for people who don't know, Fisher Price, that they made children's things, children's toys. And they had a real durable record player that was really great. And she bought me multiplication. When I was in third grade, she bought me a set of records to teach me my multiplication tables in math. 
And that's why she bought me the turntable, not to listen to the Gap Band. Yeah. <laughs> and I tell you, I, you know, I would listen to those, but I would also sneak and borrow, quote unquote, borrow my dad's records from, from his room and bring them into my bedroom and listen to them on my Fisher Price record player, which was meant for children. Children's <laughs> records, children's use, et cetera. I was playing James Brown and uh, Earth, Wind and Fire records on the Fisher Price. Very early. So I've, I've, I've just always been into music. And, um, and then as I got older, I started getting into you know, additional genres when I was in high school and middle school, uh, rap music was really becoming a huge, huge thing. And this is in the late 80s and early 90s. And I was buying all of those records. When the first New Orleans Bounce records were coming out, that happened when I was in high school. So I, you know, if it was music, I was into it. Did you ever play an instrument? I played lots of them. <laughs> um, you know, my mom was very into me being in arts, uh, you know, exposing me to different things. So she she would have me in dance classes and she signed me up for Suzuki violin classes mm -hmm. in like second or no, it was like third or fourth grade. And I remember I didn't like them very much. <laughs> and my dad, he he took it a step further. He had me. He wanted me to take guitar lessons and he bought me a drum kit when I was really little and I played piano for several years and nothing really stuck uh, uh -huh. with me except for the concept of manipulating records, of vinyl records uh, in, in a coordinated way. Uh, what we call a disco mix, which is intended to blend two records together to make them sound like one so that you can't tell where one is ending and the other is beginning. Gotcha. And how did you get into DJing? Uh, um, well, I again, I already was into records, collecting records, quote unquote, borrowing records from my dad. And in the eighth grade, Yo! MTV Raps debuts on MTV. And that's where we started seeing, uh, or not we, but a lot of people started seeing rap videos for the first time. I mean, they had been playing them on BET, but around the country, um, if you didn't have BET in your market, like we did in New Orleans, you weren't seeing rap videos. So when M M Yo! MTV Raps, debuts it's a huge deal and people don't know this I, I like to remind you know because rap is now a huge thing everywhere we take it for granted that it's always been everywhere yo mtv raps was one hour a week on a saturday you saw one hour of rap music videos on mtv a per week <laughs> on a saturday night at 9 p.m central time and um all of that to say salt and pepper the female rap duo and they also had dj spinderella their videos were played and it was the first time i had seen uh, a female a woman who was a dj right right manipulating records and i saw her and i'm like wow that's so cool because i love records too you know and just to to watch her 
was was very powerful. And um, I always kept that in my brain. And in high school, I actually asked my dad to buy me some DJ equipment. And he did. The long story of that is that he bought the wrong types of things so I couldn't actually use it. <laughs> it was the thought that counted. And then, um, it's a very long story because then I start doing WWOZ when I started volunteering with them okay. when I was a freshman in college. And yeah, it, it, um, that is separate from the live DJing part. So I, I get involved. Right. WWOZ and then a friend of mine was like well you need to do what you do there live you know in in clubs and I said well the funny thing is I tried that in high school and my dad bought me stuff and and and, and it didn't work and she and my friend uh, my best friend to this day encouraged me to um to do it live and, and that was in 1997 so I started with WWOZ in 1994, I would say spring 1994, and my first live show as, you know, DJing live was in the summer of 1997. Okay. So that brings up an interesting question. What is it, or what was it like being a female DJ at that time? Because you had to have been like way in the minority as I would think. Yeah, I, I mean, to be very honest, um, New, New Orleans is not a DJ culture town. New Orleans has a very unique DJ history, but it's not one that's discussed a lot because it is very uh, underground or, or, or um, if you were there, you know it. And if you weren't there, then... Gotcha. Know, and no one is studying DJ history of New Orleans, right? So it's almost like it doesn't exist. If no one documents it, if no one uh, studies it or archives it, it dangerously almost doesn't exist. But I know it to exist. And um, all of that to say, when I was growing up, there was a local DJ by the name of Slick Leo who... Uh, was a part of a station called WAIL 105 FM. This is in the early to mid 1980s. One of the first, if not the first, number one urban station in New Orleans when the term urban became a, a, a thing. And that's a conversation unto itself. <laughs> um, and he was so big, he's influenced many DJs. Tons of DJs. Uh, Manny Fresh has talked about Slick Leo influencing him. Uh, also, musicians have talked about Slick Leo's influence because he would play things that and and mix live on the air. Uh, apparently, he did dances that filled the Superdome. So he was a huge, huge, huge deal. And I would listen to him. And so the things that he was doing actually influenced me. But other than him, I wasn't brought up around DJs at all. My growing up in New Orleans, I knew about bands. You know, my mm -hmm. dad was a big Neville Brothers fan and uh, loved to play them, loved the meters. I went to Jazz Fest. You know, you didn't see DJs at Jazz Fest. And again, I'm a young person, so I'm not in the clubs. I don't know any DJs because I'm 58 years old. So when I 
when I started, um, not only was I not the only, not only was I the only woman, but I didn't have a community of other DJs supporting me because for one, again, I'm a woman. There is no, there was no network, you yeah. know? Uh, I was, I was, I kind of came out of nowhere because my friend encouraged me to try this thing. And if it wasn't for her, I would not have done it uh, because she talked me into it. I was very against it, very shy. And, um, and yeah, there, there, I didn't see another woman DJ, live DJ for years and years and years, you know, uh, after I, after I started, I just assumed that was the way it was, right? Um, you know, and, and, and there was no crew, there was no mentoring, there was nothing, you know, yeah. all I had to go on, uh, was, watching Yo! MTV raps, you know, <laughs> over this pandemic, I, I was cleaning, you know, my house and going through old things that I didn't realize I still had, to be very honest. And one of them was a DVD uh, from Jam Master J, uh, Run DMC's DJ, who, who was tragically murdered many years ago, but it was the it was Jam Master J, the DVD called How to DJ. So even <laughs> back then, you know, I, I was wanting to learn. And the only way I had to learn was to go outside of New Orleans through, okay. through videos or DVDs or what have you. Yeah. So this is maybe a difficult question, not for you, but just generally speaking. Um, you know, there's always there's always this kind of dialogue that being a woman um, can put you in a, a position of being an, at a disadvantage, you know, in a workplace or, um, you know, even creatively in the music industry, et cetera, et cetera. And whereas I think that's true, I also always felt like people underestimate women. And it, it kind of puts us in that place of like, I'm just going to lay low and do my thing and nobody's going to suspect anything until all of a sudden I come out and here I am. Do you, do you feel like being a woman in this industry is a disadvantage? It, it is when people put you in a box, even, yeah. even the term I, I push back against a female DJ, because, you know, one of our great DJs, uh, Grandmaster Flash, you may have heard of him, yeah. uh, Jam Master J, um, Slick Leo, whoever you want to call us great DJs. No one's like, oh, my favorite male DJ is Grandmaster right. Flash. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say anything like that. Um, even just that, and I understand why it's there. It's like to, prov to provide representation uh, if it right. wasn't for me seeing Spinderella, I would not have had, you know, seen myself represented um, as, you know, a, a woman DJ and a, a black woman DJ as well. But um, yeah, it, 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 it can be weird because of a lot of the connotations some people put on it. 
And that goes for just being a DJ in general, because a lot of people don't want to um, uh, look at DJs as being artists. Now, there are all kinds of DJs. There's all kinds of musicians, right? Right, right. But it's like when someone e emails me and they say, we're looking for a DJ. I say, well, if you're looking for a DJ, I can help you with that. If you're looking for Soul Sister, then I am here. Two different a lot of people are like, we're looking for a female DJ. Well, that just means they want a woman to do what they want. They not, they're not looking for an artist. Right. So I call myself a DJ artist. And that's a whole other conversation. Um, but yeah, um, <laughs> as a woman, you know, and, and I have the stories to back it up. You deal with mostly front of house and back of house engineers, sound techs, et cetera, who are men. It, it's 1%. I think I've had in my 20 years of live DJing, one, maybe two women engineers and then one female tech. So that's three. Wow. Um, other than that, it's all men. And then there are a lot of them uh, question if you know what you're doing, if you're talking. Yeah talking about if you say you need a they say no you actually need c and then they see that it's wrong it's like well i already told you but you didn't believe it you know <laughs> i have all those stories uh but that is across the board in in anything that that sexism is pervasive and it's there yeah i agree with you i don't i hate the fact that it's gotten to the point where we ha i guess we don't have to but we've gotten in the habit of delineating between you know, male person who does this job and female person who does this job. Like, it, sh mm -hmm. it you're both doing the job. Does it matter? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I agree with you about that. And I think it's a shame, too, that it's gotten to the point that you have, that we feel like we have to say, you know, I'm a female such and such in order to get recognized. Okay. But, but then I see the other side where, People want to be inclusive, inclusive and, and provide equity. But even in that, you know, you don't just hire anyone, a musician, DJ, whatever, based on their gender. You, you hire them based on what they can do. So I'm a funk DJ. So if you're looking for a female DJ who plays heavy metal, well, I'm a woman, but that, that actually happened to me. Someone called me a very uh, large, prominent club. I will not say their name. And they were <laughs> looking for a female DJ to open for some heavy metal tribute. And I said, do you know who I am? And <laughs> my name is DJ Soul Sister. They said, you were a woman DJ. Oh, I am, but I have a specialty. So right. find somebody who does, you know, it, the, the woman thing kind of blasts people's heads and then they forget the real thing, what it's about is music. Right, right. Yeah, I under, I understand. Maybe not to the same degree you do, but I do understand where, <laughs> where you're coming from. <laughs> Let me pause for a second and read my, my ad, my coffee ad. Let's see. Um, yeah, this episode is brought to you by New Orleans Coffee Company, who actually just renewed a six-month contract uh, for advertising, which is awesome. So thank you to them. Um, the New Orleans Coffee Company has been making cool brew right here in Mid-City for over 30 years. 
Cool Brew is the uh, original cold brew coffee concentrate, and it only takes one ounce of Cool Brew to make a cup of delicious iced coffee or hot coffee just by adding water. Or add ice cream and sugar in a blender for a delicious frappe. No need to wait in line. This is a coffee shop in every bottle. It comes in eight different flavors. The chocolate almond is my new favorite, by the way, for what that's worth. And is available at most supermarkets, or you can order it online and have it delivered right to your door at coolbrew.com. There's also a new discount code. Uh, so if you go to the coolbrew.com and you plug in the code NERDBRAIN25, so NERDBRAIN25, that'll give you 25% off your first online order. So check that out. Anyway, back to the task at hand. Um, so, okay, going back to your, your musical collection and how all of this comes about, how do you get to the point where you're studying, you know, the history of music and the history of these records uh, more formally? Wow. <laughs> you know, throughout my life, uh, informally, I've just always been a fan of uh, learning who and what and why and how the music is made. And, you know, I call my records, you know, they're not just my, my uh, records that I listen to or that I DJ with, but they're also my primary source materials for a lot of research because of liner notes and um, photographs and, uh, and all the information that they provide. So, so yeah, informally, I've always been into that. I've always been into the history of music because the main time period that I deal with in the music I collect and, and really uh, dig into the most is 1960s through 1980s, though I can speak to music before and after that. But what I collect personally falls within uh, those years. And so formally, when I learned that uh, there actually was an academic discipline uh, known as musicology. You know, the first time I ever heard that term was the Prince song. The Prince song. <laughs> you know, I just thought it was a cute little term. <laughs> and then I was in New York for, uh, you know, I was up there. Yeah, I, I go to New York a lot or used to rather. Uh, my favorite record stores there, A1 Records in the Lower East Side. And I noticed there was a conference going on and it was free and open to the public. It was called the Pop Music Conference. And I went there and, and heard people speaking about music, not like in a trivia, you know, music trivia way or, or but in really um, advanced ways. I remember one of the papers that someone gave was about Karen Carpenter, the concept of Karen Carpenter as a soul artist. And I'm like, that's weird. And then after <laughs> I, I listened to her paper and she had audio and visuals to back it up, you know, I'm like, wow. Uh, not that she is proving something to be <laughs> true or false, but the process behind it, you know, uh, that she could back up what, what she was saying with, uh, with, with, thesis points and, 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 and research that she had done. And I thought it was amazing. 
And I said, you know, this is something I'm interested in because there's a lot of music I'm into that I don't hear being spoken about uh, mm -hmm. in journalism or in academia. And so that made me want to pursue it further. Very cool. Yeah, I went to an ethnomusicology conference here in New Orleans when I was in grad school. They have... Uh, it's like a couple days over a two lane. Um, and it, again, it was like free and open to the public and <laughs> oh, this poor guy, uh, you know, it's people getting up to present their, their papers. Um, and <laughs> this, this man gets up to present, uh, it was some sort of kind of obscure classical piece of music. And he eventually starts getting into more and more detail about how he thinks that this piece is influenced by the sheep of the region of <laughs> wherever this thing was written. And he's getting into more of like, he has researched these sheep and it's, <laughs> and it was like, at, you know, all at the same time, I'm like mad respect for this guy and his like research on the, the sheep, but <laughs> that is a lot of dedication. <laughs> It is, but you know, like nerd brain. I mean, I remember exactly. when I was in, in the conference and in the room and I looked around, I said, oh my God, I finally found people like me who are <laughs> obsessed with minute details and will, will research to the ends of the earth to prove it. Oh, this is my community. So the, <laughs> it, it was a, a reckoning, you know, I said, I finally found people that 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 make sense you know that that I feel I can fellowship with in a different in a different way because yeah. <laughs> I love music I love playing music but I love researching music too and yeah. teaching about music I get that yeah I I really I like music history a lot and the, the sheep thing of course is like not the norm but <laughs> like or maybe it is I don't know but <laughs> Like you were saying, it's like, man, I mean, okay, he's researched a lot of sheep, but also, like, I don't know that he's wrong. I mean, he did prove his point. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's that's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to hear uh, people's research. And then also on the other side of that, what happens at these conferences is you might go to one person's paper and might not agree with it at all. And, and Right and think it's garbage, you know? And then during the Q&A session, you can say, well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel so, badly isn't the right word. I guess nervous for the people who are presenting those papers because I would be such a wreck to have to like defend something like that and know it that thoroughly that you can just answer those kinds of questions off the cuff. Well, that's musicology. Life is is whatever your your area of research interest is. You can you can answer those questions. You can go toe to toe and do it because it's like any other um, academic discipline. If that's what you've chosen to study, then then you are prepared for anything you know anything that comes at you. Um, right. For any any of my research interests, my musical research interests, I love to talk about them because I could just talk about them literally for hours, hours and hours and hours until people, you know, at, at bars and coffee, you know, uh, 
um, cocktail parties run away from me because I yeah. stop talking about it. <laughs> Do you feel like that more formal study of you know the music that you're really interested in? Do you feel like that has lent itself to your your DJ career? Or is it? I only wanted to do it to um, to share information and do research on topics that I did not see being covered. Okay. You know, um, so it was mainly just just for me, and also so that I could put some things down on paper or or on the written record or. or recorded record or something so that someone has it in the future yes that makes a lot of sense I think that's important you know for so long I mean people didn't think about writing these things down um in a type of way that uh lends itself to reference you know uh, and I do think it, increasingly as our technology becomes better and that becomes something that we, you know, uh, put more emphasis on, that it is really important to record some of this stuff that's, like you said, that's like kind of happening all over the place, but like you only know about it if you're there, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and um, it's it's so important. Documentation is important. Archiving is important because they provide a, guideline and foundation for for history if it's if we can't if we don't have access to it 50 100 years from now did it did it happen did it happen yeah this, the the young people say you know if you didn't if there's no picture did it yeah. <laughs> oh and and i hate that that's a thing but i see it more and more and more and more and that's how you start getting revisionist history about mm-hmm. Uh, things <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so switching gears just well kind of a lot but <laughs> we're still I mean effectively quarantined right now here in New Orleans even though we're at our phase two you know how has this been for you as a creative person do you do you feel stifled in, in this environment or is it I've talked to some people in the show who've said it's it's almost nice to have kind of a break to to regroup creatively. So what has it been like for you? Yeah, this, the important thing that I always stress is that this is affecting everybody differently. Right. Everybody differently. And at different times, it affects everyone differently. So at the beginning of this, I was very... Um, scared you know it was when when we couldn't leave our homes uh i thought if i walked out of the door you know so uh, the wind would blow coronavirus on me and then i would die you know it was, <laughs> it was it was a feeling of terror in in my heart and then i i chilled out a little bit and um started you know I don't know what the term for it is, but when people started picking up new skills and uh, um, uh, learning to do new things. So I learned some technology that I never dealt with before. Part of this was 
required because for my radio show at WWOZ, uh, we could not, well, we were encouraged to not go in to do our radio shows and to record our shows from home. You know, uh, they never said you cannot go. Right. Uh, but it would be, you know, to, better to follow the, the mayor's orders and be safest at home. And so my thing was, well, how do I record a show at home? I, my my entire radio show, I play nothing but vinyl records. And, and I remember I made the um, director of content laugh. He said, oh, you just download this program and plug your MP3s in. And I said, MP3, what is that? He said, huh? I said, yeah. No, what me playing wax, that's not a shtick. That's real. <laughs> so, I don't, your MP3 um, instruction and tutorial does not help me because I don't deal with MP3. So I had to learn a whole new way. I um, have a, I had a turntable that I bought literally five or six or more years ago that I never opened out of the box is meant to digitize vinyl and turn them into MP3. So still had it, opened it up, you know, seven, six years later and um, taught myself how to record a show from my home using my records uh, and recording my voice. And, and doing that, I learned how to record videos and do Instagram kind of, uh, stories and, and all of these things, you know, Spotify playlists, things that before I never would have done and things that people asked me to do. And I was like, no, I'm <laughs> not interested in that. Um, so that was phase two for me is being very active. And then I started cleaning my house and finding all of these things. And I archived a lot of personal things, uh, which was great. And then I, I you know, uh, fell into a bit of a slump. You know how when people talk about writer's block. Right. Uh, so I I set up an area in my record room to DJ live and do a live stream, which is something that has been popular amongst a lot of DJs. And I just couldn't do it. I just didn't feel the energy to do it. And it's then that I realized how much I love um, interaction, crowd interaction, energy, and participation in a live setting. Um, now I, and I had to overcome some technical issues with that. I had to buy special gear in order uh -huh. to do it so that it sounded right. Then I had to buy more special gear. So now I have no excuses. I have the gear, I'm motivated, you know, so it's different phases. All yeah. of that to say, you know, I've gone up and down and up and down, and it'll be a while before things are back to normal, if ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and one of the other things I've talked about a little bit um, on here with various musicians and, you know, kind of, quote, music towns, and, you know, I think New Orleans definitely falls into that category, is what we can do to better support our musicians, because... You know, when all of this happened, it's like everybody who is not just musicians, but anybody who's freelancing is like, you know, up the creek without a paddle. It's like, well, now what? You know, it's 
I, I, I personally feel like, and maybe this is too harsh, but I personally feel like there's kind of this attitude of like, we love what you guys do when you're here, but then when you can't be here, we don't really, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind sort of thing. Um, do you have ideas about how we could better support our community here? You know, uh, it all comes down to money and recognizing and acknowledging that uh, our, music, our, our musicians, our music and cultural community um, do things for um, the love, but they also expect to be uh, compensated for it as well. Yeah. So at the beginning, as an example, at the beginning of, of the quarantining, a lot of musicians were going online and doing um, live streaming shows, live shows from their homes or wherever. And people, uh, you know, at, at least the musicians I know told me that people were very forthcoming in giving tips and, mm -hmm. you know, cash app donations and all of that. And now there's been a fatigue, you know, because at the beginning we thought it was going to be a month or two and then right. it'll be all over. We're not getting out of this anytime soon. And now, you know, the, that early generosity not only has, has slowed down a bit, but it will take uh, us as a community to really support them because unlike Katrina, we're not gonna get help from other cities and states and countries around the world because everybody is having their own problems, right? Right. So we have to help our own. And so businesses, you know, they, they shouldn't be going to musicians saying, oh, donate your services for free. That's not the time for this at all. No. It, if someone goes on to uh, a live stream of a musician, a DJ or whoever, you know, give them a tip, give them, you know, even if it's a dollar, if, if someone has 5,000 views, if all 5,000 of those people give a dollar, look at how that helps uh, the artists or artists. If it's a band, it's more than one person, right? And they have to split it all up. So, um, you know, it's not just for entertainment. We have to really be putting our money to, to support. And also if they have merchandise, um, CDs, whatever, that, that has to happen. There have been some nonprofit organizations in the city and thank goodness who have um, issued grants mm -hmm. for musicians and, and artists. Not everybody gets that. So, it's up to us to recognize what we have uh, and and to you know to give it to to, to put some money and not take it for granted because if we go to the restaurant right. we're not going to get that food for free you know uh, it's the same thing yeah and that's so hard for it's funny because you know before you and I got on this call together I was talking to a piano student of mine that's what I do for a living for the most part. Uh, and she just started teaching a little bit herself and she's in high school and she's 17 years old. And, um, you know, due to the current situation, she's having a, a hard time getting her student to like stick to one specific time every week because everything's so crazy and the lessons are online and all kinds of stuff. 
And I, I kind of had to explain to her the same thing, which is something that I learned way too late in my career, which is that this is a job, you know, whereas it's something you love and it's something that other people are getting a lot out of. It is still a job and you get paid for a job and other people have work hours and you have work hours, you know, it's just like, <laughs> I know people don't always see it that way. And it's, it's not necessarily their fault. I don't think, I think part of our job as a community is, is to demand more too, you know, like this, we are worth this. So we're not going to accept less than that. <laughs> it's, it's also such a weird situation to be in. It's, it's humbling, you know, whereas let's say a musician, they play at a club, uh, with a cover charge, you know, the, the musician doesn't have to be on stage begging for money because the cover charge has already been paid. Right. Now, you know, it's, it's, it's very humbling for a musician to say, please go to my cash app. It's a, it's a weird kind of, uh, personal, um, overcoming of, something that I don't know that a lot of artists thought that they would ever have to do, especially ones at the upper echelon yeah. of, of who aren't, you know, uh, who are not used to saying, please pay me. You know? Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And it, I think it, it puts people in an, a very awkward position. And of, of course, right now it's everybody's in an awkward position, but um, <laughs> like you said, like to have to ask people like, please pay me for what I do for a living. <laughs> like, you know, guys, I think we could maybe do a little bit better. <laughs> but on the flip side of things, and you probably can speak to this more than I can, because I'm kind of in a classical part of the music community, but um, I do feel like it's, it's helped the community here come together a lot more and, and people are kind of, musicians are kind of supporting each other a lot more and trying to help each other out. And I think that's really important to have a kind of collective. Is that an experience you've had? Uh, for me, I know I've, there have been a few other, a couple other DJs who have reached out to say, if you need some technical help, you know, they see me kind of him and haw online about not knowing how to set up uh, live streaming gear. They're like, just call us up when you need us. So, you know, that's been really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Under unfortunate circumstances, but I guess <laughs> <laughs> we'll take some positivity where we can get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, before I close out, do you have any ideas about what you're going to do moving forward? I mean, I know that's an unfair question, but, um, I don't know. I've, I know a lot of people are like coming up with projects and stuff. Have you had any just brainstorms? Uh, well, as as DJ Soul Sister, I um, the live streaming thing will happen really, really soon. Like I'm going to do that. Um, I have a lot of things going on in my professional, professional life that keep me very busy <laughs> related to, to research and, and, um, archival work and, and also some teaching. I guess I can, I can mention this. I am going to 
uh, be teaching a class this fall for undergraduates at Loyola University, the history of urban music. Oh, that's it's great. The first time that it is being offered. So I'm working on my course design right now and my syllabus and readings. And yeah, that is a lot of work. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, as far as DJing live, that won't happen for me anytime soon. Even uh, from what I understand, and I didn't even realize this was so, I think it is part of the mayor's um, uh, phase two reopening that quote unquote DJs are allowed. Really? Yeah, someone had to, to point this out to me. I didn't realize it myself. But there are a lot of stipulations around it, one of which is that no dancing is allowed. So, you know, even if it is allowed, I don't want to be the one to have the party that on the news where like 20 people out of 30 guests come down with coronavirus because they were at the party. Like, I don't want that on my no my conscience you know so i don't blame you (laughs) not at all but that's great about that class congratulations i think that'll be really cool thank you thank you i'd love to teach and share so this is yet another another way (laughs) and organizing my records too my my record piles are starting to pile back up so i need to get be get back into the organization that I had at the beginning of all of this. <laughs> yeah, I can only see one corner of your pile right now and I'm like super impressed already. So <laughs> it didn't look like this pre uh <laughs> it looked like a cyclone had hit it. So <laughs> Yeah, there's a reason the lights off in my room. So <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> well, uh, I want to thank you so much for being my guest here. This is episode 16 of Welcome to My Nerd Brain. And I'm going to do the uh, social media shout outs. So you can find me online at welcometomynerdbrain.com or on Instagram, same handle, Welcome to My Nerd Brain. You can also get in touch with me via email, ecfranson at mac.com. That's E-C-F-R-A-N-S-E-N at mac.com. And be sure to check out the Nerd Brainiacs Facebook group for exclusive content. Um, and I'll make sure, you know, when you do that live stream, I'll make sure I connect to that. And uh, you want to be sure to pick up some Brains 2020 magnets. So if you go on my website, there's some magnets. They have little brains on them. And it says Brains 2020 at the top. And they benefit the Minnesota Freedom Fund. So go check those out. And you can find DJ Soul Sister online at djsoulsister.com and on Instagram at DJ Soul Sister. Any, any other social media shout outs you want to do? Uh, Twitter is the same, DJ Soul Sister. Facebook, DJ Soul Sister. Though I'm not so much on Facebook anymore these days, but <laughs> I'm still I'm still there. But yeah, Instagram, Twitter. And the thing to remember is DJ Soul Sister has an E-R on the end of it. It's not an A. And I just followed you on Instagram, too. Yay! I'm so excited. You get to see stupid pictures of my dog now. Congratulations. Oh. <laughs> 
As always, thanks for listening. Stay well, stay healthy, and wash your damn hands.